All right, and welcome everyone to episode 19. It's Christine Zamuda, and I'm here with my co-host Muge Wood. We have a really exciting topic called um, setting a vision, setting goals, and how this impacts your long t- long time. Um, I'm going to start over. Sorry. <laughs> hey, hey, as you're starting over, um, yeah. Muge, is Christine frozen for you too, or is it just me? Never, never mind, you're back. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she's 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 fine. Okay. okay, it's just me. Okay. I just wanted to check, so now I'll know if it happens again. It's on me. I'll be fine. All right, let's do take two then. Okay, great. All right, everyone, welcome to episode nineteen, and this is all about setting a vision and managing uh, goals in the pursuit of uh, greater fulfillment. So, in previous episodes, we have touched on retirement as a big life transition. We've shared research on how the experience is going versus what was envisioned. We've had fabulous guests talk about their real life experiences. And what we often learn from retirement is it's not what we expected. Um, The transition can be very different from what we imagined. There is the unexpected, there's the magical, and in some cases, just a big challenge in separating your uh, personal life from your former professional life. And I'm excited today, along with my um, co-host, Muge Wood, to bring you a special guest. And we are bringing Mark Congdon, who is the founder of The Ideal Life. And um, what Mark has done, he is leading one of 10 distinct companies that are united towards a singular purpose of helping others achieve fulfilling happiness in their lives using a special um, strategy called the I Got This Framework, which I love the name, I Got This, (laughs) easy to remember. Uh, And we also want to thank Jamie Tazi, who is a friend of the show who connected us with Mark. So uh, hello to Jamie. And uh, so right now, I think let's turn over to Mark. And Mark, if you could, in your own words, give uh, folks a little bit about your background and how you uh, started this journey. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Christine and Muge. I'm really excited to be here. Jamie has um, been such a special relationship for me. And, um, you know, as I've gotten to know more of the community that, that y'all have had together, I know it's a really fun group. So I'm excited to, to be here. Hopefully it's uh, a one of many. Um, yeah, so I am um, not close to retirement in my own age. I um, got into the transportation logistics industry after college, which is about 12 or 13 years ago now. Um, but where I found myself is very much in the study of how our bodies and minds work and the psychology of that and how it relates not just to um, to any life transition, any goal, any daily mindset, but how that is the same mechanism that is at play when we get closer to the end of a career or um, the end of any big chapter in our life that requires a transition and how to look at that. So I've, I've really enjoyed listening to this podcast and um, and excited to, to contribute some ideas and have a fun conversation. Um, so yeah, just a little bit about myself um, and then we can dive into it. So um, I, after graduating from Clemson University, I got into um, an entry-level position in transportation logistics. Uh, Just worked in a cubicle, um, clearing customs entries from China and um, Europe and all over the world, and decided to approach the way I looked at my job with the seed of an idea that I found um, 
really through one particular book I'd picked up in college, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey, very popular book. Mm-hmm. There was a scene in that that really resonated with me, which is the idea that there is a vision of who we want to be at the end of our life. And when we use that end and start with the end in mind, which I think is habit two of the book, and then back into the present, really, really good things can come from that. Mm -hmm. So I decided to apply that idea to my work. And I did that for two reasons. One, because I saw very quickly that it was an effective way to do well in my job, and to achieve some goals that I set for myself early on. But more importantly, it was making me feel uh, a little bit more in control of the chaos in my life. I dealt with anxiety since I was a kid. And I think there's lots of different reasons for that. I think like everybody, we all deal with it. And I was trying to learn how to deal with it in my own life. And um, I would have panic attacks. Um, The stress that I had would slip into depression occasionally and I would have to fight back from that. And so I knew I was just grappling with what I, I clearly realized was a, a chemical um, reaction in my brain that would make me look at life in a very anxious way. But I found that when I started to pursue goals within my job related to this idea of the end of my life and the type of person I wanted to become, I saw that I was able to also manage those stressful feelings a little bit more. And I became really interested in that idea. So little by little, as I saw success in my career in the logistics industry, I started just to journal every day to myself about what I was learning from the approaches I was taking. And that began to take form into what I saw was this daily kind of step-by-step process that I would go through. So I started to follow that process, which I'll talk more about in a second, which would eventually become the I Got This framework. And I was able to um, get a promotion within the first year at that company into account management. I was all of a sudden responsible for 10 of the largest clients for, um, for, that, for half of South Carolina, essentially, um, and then promoted again into an outside sales role where there were only two of those. And I started to realize that this approach I was taking was helping me achieve some of these material goals. Um, and then I moved to a, a private, comp, smaller company who, where I had the opportunity to create an account management program from scratch do sales, but then also eventually I worked my way into operations and became uh, the vice president of operations for a shippers association that had me all of a sudden traveling to China and negotiating contracts with these top executives of billion dollar steamship lines. And for a minute, I had this imposter syndrome of how did I get here so quickly? But at the same time, I looked at this process I had created and I understood the mindset that it had taken to achieve some of those goals. And so um, that was exciting. But where I really started to see, I think, the impact that it could have on a bigger level was when I started to apply to other roles in my life besides just work. So even though I started to achieve some success in my career, I wasn't treating my body very well. I was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. I had slowly gained weight every year since high school, essentially, to the point where in my late 20s, I was 240 pounds, no muscle. And I was leaning over to change my daughter's diaper and threw my back out. And that was the turning point for me where I realized if I'm going to be the type of person that I want to be, which is the approach I'd had in my work, what type of impact do I want to make through my work when all is said and done? Well, what type of person do I want to be? I want to be somebody who's there for my family. I want to be somebody who sees my kids grow up and their kids grow up and maybe even their kids grow up. And at the rate I was going, I wasn't living into that. 
So I saw that I was applying these principles I had learned to my work, but I was ignoring them in my life. So I said, just as an experiment, what if I followed this step-by-step kind of journaling exercise I developed? And I did and immediately saw results there too. In one year, I lost over 65 pounds. The next year, I lost another 20. Um, the, in that second year, I ran my first marathon. And the year after that, I completed a full Ironman triathlon, which is a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, and then a full marathon back-to-back-to-back. I had never done anything athletic my whole life since I was a kid. I said, there's something to this that works. Wow, that's powerful. That, I, I that knew is, we were going to talk amazing. about the professional side, but I didn't know that the health would come into this. So now I'm really leaning forward on this yes. topic. That's amazing. <laughs> it's so inspirational. I think, Mark, we may have to uh, have you come back multiple times because you said a lot in there that I would love for us to um take it, uh, at least a bit of it for ourselves and make something into it. You mentioned journaling as a way of um, bringing you center to your goals. And a lot of what you said, I think is what many of us would like to achieve. Um, so that's that's amazing. I um, want to thank you right away for um, sharing your own personal story that shaped uh, where you are today and how you are looking to help others do the same. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so you're yeah, and just a question. So you're you're coaching, I mean, all people, all ages. I, I saw some of the testimonials on your website and there was a, a myriad of of people, you know, from all different walks of life and all different age groups. Is is that do you see like more people interested or a certain group or, or are you just, you know, word of mouth, hey, this thing works and it's just spreading? The really incredible thing to me is that as we've shared the the ideas of this framework with others, it has worked with every person who's applied it. And mm. the reason why I believe that to be true is because it captures the the controllable actions of our internal reward systems and the chemicals that it releases. And I didn't know that when I start, first started developing the framework. I just kind of fell into it and mm-hmm. learned from trial and error. But when I decided to bring this to the world, one of the first things I did is I started a master's program in psychology at Harvard's Extension School, um, which I recently completed. So I have a master's in industrial organizational psychology from Harvard. And the thing that really excited me during that program was learning about the chemicals that are released by our internal reward system. And there's not that many of them is the surprising thing. And you can really categorize the main chemicals that motivate and make you feel good and really just four, which sometimes are referred to as the dose chemicals. You can get a dose of them because they're dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. And they're an energy source um, that complement our fight or flight energy source, which is cortisol. And the interesting thing that I learned is that the stress that comes from cortisol is a key part of how we were designed, but too many of us let the stress of our life take control and they don't know how to control the more positive emotions. And so the I got this framework itself, which is essentially a journaling process, but it's a step-by-step um, process that we can walk people through. stands for the ideal, which is that vision of yourself that you want to be at the end of your life. Goals, which are the major milestone and horizon and dream goals that you have that show your brain that you're making progress towards becoming that person. Those are the uncontrollable things that we really want to achieve, like the promotion or the relationship improvement things that we can influence but can't control, and then objectives and tasks, which are qualitative and quantitative things that we can control. Um, And when we do that, we're telling our brain that we are taking a step today 
that makes it more likely we're going to achieve the goals we've set for the future, which are aligned with the vision of who we want to become. And when we do that, dopamine is released that lets us know that we are pursuing the goals that matter. And that dopamine spills over and stays on our bloodstream and impacts all areas of our life where all of a sudden we wake up and we feel motivated and happy and ready to tackle the next thing. And the more we can make that part of our daily mindset, the more that even without trying too hard, we're in a state of mind that's positive and motivated rather than um, stressed out and anxious about what's next. Wow. So how is that activated? You mentioned journaling. So are, are you writing down, I'm imagining you're, you're putting the master plan together and then is there a process where daily you're, you're talking to yourself or writing in words what you're going to accomplish and then it, are things activated when you accomplish that? Is the chemicals activated or just the, the pure notion of writing things down? Does that also kick off a chemical reaction in your yeah, brain? The, the- the act of writing things down certainly helps. The The framework itself, is a lot of it is planning because chemicals, if you think about it, are um, a very tangible thing. Like in this moment, our body is running on chemicals, including dopamine. So dopamine is actually the way that we move in the world. And it's activated by goal pursuit. But even lifting your finger is a micro goal because you start with an intention where you say, I have a goal of moving my finger. Dopamine is released. And then that's converted into acetylcholine, which then actually triggers muscle movement. And so like Parkinson's disease, which involves, um, you know, a lot of physical tremors, Mm -hmm. that is a deficiency in dopamine. So dopamine Mm -hmm. is the way that we move through every moment of life. And so really, if we want to be happy, we're really saying we want to be happy in this moment. We're trying to get dopamine and, and other chemicals in this moment. So journaling what it does is 90% of it is creating a path to the future. So those objectives and goals towards the ideal are really a path towards the future, but really it's designed so that you can see that the task you're performing in this moment is aligned with those things. And then when you execute that task, that's all your brain needs to release the chemical in that moment. And so really it's just using the future as a planning device to take action today. Uh, uh, this is uh, fascinating. Uh, I think, uh, Mark, in our uh, reflections through our episodes, we want to uh, continue to focus on things that we all can do without uh, a complete upheaval of our lives, practical things that we can do and weave into how we live. A lot of what you say fits in with. Um, one question I have that I'm curious about is um, we are talking a lot about um, outlining our goals and and documenting um, steps that we can take towards that that has a positive impact impact on our um, uh, the composition of our body. Um, what if we don't know what our goals are? Um, mm-hmm. uh, I sometimes uh, get that feedback as well uh, from uh, some of our subscribers. Um, we may be at a point in our lives where we don't know what the end game is. Um, and uh, maybe because we've gone through a lot of transitions, maybe we feel like we have already achieved what is to achieve. So mm-hmm. we are in this um, state of being not necessarily unhappy, but also we don't have a list of goals. So how would you um, uh, approach that situation? Yeah, no, and that's such that's such a common thing that we we grapple with, especially I, I think with your, your audience too, it might be even more top of mind. We've achieved a lot of the things that we wanted to achieve. So the thing about goals is that they can help guide us, but when we focus on them as the priority, they can also work against us. The reason for that is dopamine is released as we think about and pursue our goals, but as we achieve them, 
our brain got what it wanted. And so it doesn't need to motivate us anymore. Like, for example, one of our evolutionary goals is eating. When we get hungry, we're motivated to find food. Part of that is dopamine. As we eat, there's pleasure from eating. And part of that is dopamine. But the purpose of eating is to digest the food. And we're not aware of that because we've already achieved what we needed to achieve. A really scary example of this um, is one that Michael Phelps talks about in his documentary, The Weight of Gold. So Michael Phelps, maybe more than any other human, set this amazing goal and was able to achieve it by, throughout his entire life, deliberately practicing the things required to win a gold medal. And so as a child, he was looking at this goal of a gold medal and the types of food he would eat, the people he would hang out with, um, you know, at the time of day he would wake up and go to the pool. All of these things were looked at through the lens of this goal. And then he eventually made it to the Olympics and he started to win gold medals. And, and a lot of this, them. <laughs> and a lot more than anybody else. So not only did he win a gold medal, he became the greatest Olympian of all time. And what happened? He talks about how he went into his room after that Olympics, after the one where he had achieved the things that he had wanted to achieve and thought about ending his life. And he didn't wow. know why. And all of a sudden he had all these thoughts of, I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy. And of anybody, he should be the one who's saying the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. So he got really concerned and he started to look into that more. And he eventually created this HBO documentary where all of these other Olympic athletes started coming out, like Sean White, the snowboarder, and others saying, this is a pandemic. Olympic athletes are ending their life at a statistically different rate. And it's really interesting because they're reaching out and they're saying, why? What is it? Well, they've set up this dopamine reward structure around this goal. Once they achieve it or once they realize that maybe they can't, it stops serving as a dopamine release structure and in that gap of energy cortisol floods in and creates these fake thoughts that aren't real which can sometimes lead to tragic results you can see it in other high performers like astronauts um so buzz aldrin who walked on the moon came back and wrote a book talking about how he became an alcoholic after that because he said there's the moon and then what mm -hmm. but it's not just high performers this is something we all deal with so in our career when we start our career, we have these goals that we want to achieve for ourselves. And as we get closer, we either have achieved them or we're not going to be able to, or we realize that time is running short. And as that dopamine reward structure starts to fall apart, cortisol starts creeping in and anxieties. And then you search for quick hits of chemicals. So you buy that Ferrari or, you know, maybe you allow a relationship to erode as you pursue, you know, other things that you know aren't aligned with the type of person you want to be. And that leads into maybe some bad decisions that, dreaded midlife crisis, right? We all deal with this angst of what's next. Even on a daily basis, we have a to-do list. And as we hit each goal, it's what's next and the dopamine runs away. But if we can connect our actions together into something that's even farther in the future, then we can avoid that fall. And instead of our goals being a cliff, they can be just another step up a higher mountain. And so just to, you know, kind of conclude that thought, you know, as we're reaching the end of our career and we're saying, I don't have any more goals, I think rather than try to, to start with setting the next goal for your life, I would start with thinking even farther towards the ideal. What type of person do you want to be at the end of your life, not six months from now? How can you see all the work that you've done in your career being a part of that vision? And then once you have a clear understanding of that, say, okay, well, what could be like a three-month goal 
not related to work, maybe it's travel, where I could still develop the way that I communicate with others or help teach people how to, you know, manage their their tasks if that's what you did when when you were in your career or you know whatever else you could do that would not be related to tangible goals but more of the type of person you want to be that's that's how to fight back against that that's awesome yeah that's amazing <laughs> I, I i think um it sometimes feels like we fight a bit of an internal battle uh at times where um you know there's a school of thought that says be present uh, enjoy what you have, experience gratitude, and don't worry so much about the next thing and the thing after that. However, um, there still seems to be an element of aspiration here that would motivate us to achieve a set of personal and professional goals of all of our lives. And maybe they change over time where perhaps we are not seeking the title and the next promotion, but we are in a position to help others um, yes. achieve their goals and the kind of satisfaction and reward we get from that so you know it just seems like um a duality of those um conditions um and and one thing that um you know i struggle with and i and i see others maybe think through this as well is um this achievement culture, right, we are part mm -hmm. of. And, you know, all of our work lives, uh, most of us, you know, we are in the structure of scorecards, deadlines, showing impact, cycle of performance reviews. So when we consider retirement or a transition, um, you know, what does that look like? And, and even on top of that, there's still expectation almost from the society. When we hear someone retiring, we say congratulations, and then we immediately follow that up with, so what are you going to do with it? all your time. All right. um, and, and then the person may say, you know, I'm going to focus on my fitness. I'm going to spend time with family, friends and travel. And we go, hmm, you know, it just doesn't <laughs> seem like that's good enough. It's like, what else are you going to do to save the world? Like, are you not going to start a foundation? Um, and uh, so, so this achievement mindset and then balancing that with, um, enjoying life by being present in the moment you know mm. how do we resolve and reconcile um those kinds of um thoughts and expectations we may have of ourselves yep. and the society may have of us it's amazing so one thing and maybe the main thing that that separates humans from animals is our ability to time travel so we have a larger prefrontal cortex than um than any other animal proportionally and one of the functions of the prefrontal cortex which is the part of your brain right before it behind your forehead is the ability to look into the future and think about the past and so one of the things that allowed us that has allowed us to become such an amazing species is the ability to think ahead and think behind but psychologists have found that we're happiest when we can be in the moment so what's mm -hmm. that that's that dynamic i'm fascinated by the the interplay between two famous psychologists, both of which um, I'm very sad that have passed away because I would have loved to have met them. They recently passed away. One is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who was a psychologist who researched flow. And the other is Anders Ericsson, who was the expert of experts, and he was famous for deliberate practice. The I got this framework is what I realized after the fact is actually perfectly mirrors the principles for deliberate practice, which uses future goals and coaching to push yourselves towards achievement, this achievement mindset you talk about. Flow is all about being in a state of mind where you are fully consumed with an activity, where your prefrontal cortex actually shuts down and you're not capable of thinking about the future or the past. And when you come out of it, you realize 
that seemed like hours when it was minutes or minutes when it was hours and time just kind of goes away. So Csikszentmihalyi found that when you're in flow and time is irrelevant and you're fully in the moment, that's when people are the happiest. But it's a very elusive thing to discover. What's really interesting to me is the criteria to get into deliberate practice and flow is almost exactly the same. They both require a clear goal that are broken into baby steps that require your full focus. The difference is, and this is really the only difference, that deliberate practice, the achievement mindset, requires you to push yourself out of your comfort zone and flow requires you to be right on the edge. Mm-hmm. Now, we call the combination of those two things deliberate flow, which interestingly, Erickson and Csikszentmihalyi kind of butted heads their whole life because one said achievement mindset, the other one said be in the moment. I think that one leads to the other mm-hmm. because when you deliberately practice achievements, you push yourself and in doing so you develop new skills. And if you do that, then at a one point in time, the challenge of what you're working on will match the skill that you have as you push that skill set out and that will trigger flow. And so by having an achievement mindset, you're actually guaranteeing that you're going to have more instances of flow. And so that's where the combination of thinking about the future interacts with being present in the moment. It's not that if you have too much of an achievement mindset and focus too much on the goals, you risk running into the Michael Phelps issue of crashing. But without having those, you're not going to get into the flow states that require mm-hmm. skill development. And so it's this beautiful balance of life where you kind of tiptoe on the precipice of trying to push yourself to grow into the person you want to become, while also realizing that the reason you do that is to experience the joy of flow in the present moment. Yeah. Amazing. I just so appreciate your answer, Mark, because uh, to me, that personally reconciles um, uh, at least um, right off the bat, uh, that dynamic between achievement and flow. So thank you for that. That is nobody honestly has ever explained it to me in those terms that uh, made complete sense. Uh, So um, as we wind down, Um, I want to make sure um, we uh, leave our subscribers with thoughts and actions. And I will say, Mark, I think I have to set some time aside with you uh, to see why I am constantly seeking chocolate that's going beyond my uh, (laughs) instinct of human survival. And how can I sustain the positive feelings uh, that I have from my Zumba class uh, throughout (laughs) the day? So I think we have lots to talk about. But, um, um, you know, just wanted to make sure um, things that we wanted to convey, uh, at least as a starter to our um, subscribers, we make sure we get them out. Any additional thoughts, actions, well, reflections? It, yeah, what, one thought I had as Mark was talking about deliberate flow, I, I could see and connected with that both in a professional life as well as um, my art life, right? You get it, get into flow. There's also a business component of being a painter. Uh, And I think for the folks who are still working in corporate America, having that mind shift of what do I want to be at the end of my life would put a very, very different lens on what you're doing on the day-to-day basis. And I I think helping people unlock that could give folks fuel for the times right now that are very, very tough in in corporate America. Mm -hmm. 
And um, also just uh, an awareness, right? I mean, I'm hearing more and more on podcasts, in um, publications, that this ingestion of a toxic work culture does have physical Mm -hmm. uh, downsides to people. And I can tell you from just being retired for uh, six months, I wake up without the aches I had in my joints. I used to take things for aches. I thought I was having like arthritis. I, I don't have that anymore. Like I'm very much That's amazing. in a different place. So um, I, I'm curious, Mark, if you're going to give people, you know, the the three easy steps to get started, to, to transform that mindset, mm-hmm. what can people do? And then perhaps, you know, maybe provide some more insight on, you know, your your framework and how people can get in touch with you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we work with businesses and go in and help employees and the strategic leadership team use these thoughts, both in the way that businesses run and in the way that employees integrate it with their personal life to amazing results. We also work with artists. We develop an artist community because the way that we can convey growth mindset through um, mediums that speak to people's hearts is a great way to get people to think about that in a different way. So there's so many things that we're doing. We'd love to chat with you about more. I think to leave um, people with one little activity, uh, we call it a dose 180. And um, the dose stands for the chemicals that you're tapping into when you do this. And the 180 is thinking about um, using your ability to think about the time that you're in. So what you do is, and you can use this in any situation, whether it's planning for a long-term goal, like a triathlon, or walking onto a stage in front of people and dealing with the anxiety of public speaking. So you just want to connect with yourself through the I Got This framework. And you start by just remembering, okay, why am I doing this? What's the type of person that I want to be? And just visualizing that for five or 10 seconds. And just thinking about yourself as an older person and the people around you. And it doesn't have to be too specific, but just connect with that for a minute. Why, who, who do you want to be as a person? Then think about the big thing you're trying to accomplish, that uncontrollable, and really get specific with it. Like, for example, if you're walking out on a stage, I want to deliver this speech so that people will be inspired to go hike a mountain or whatever you're talking about. Then take a breath and say, okay, now what can I control? Well, I can control just taking 10 steps towards that podium Um, or, you know, I can control if it's a work project, just starting that Excel spreadsheet. But what can you do next that you can control and then bring yourself to the moment and say, what am I going to do now? I'm going to take that first step. And then once you've done that, walk back. So do another 180. Say, okay, I'm going to take a step forward towards that podium so that I can deliver the speech so that people might want to be inspired to climb that mountain, so that I can become the type of person that I feel like helped people while I was alive. By doing that quick exercise, you will release chemicals where all of a sudden you will feel a little bit more motivated and a little bit more positive about the experience because you've actually controlled the release of chemicals in your brain. Whether you believe it or not, it will work. So dose 180 is one little exercise you can try. Very um, cool. Very cool. One one quick question on that. So when you're talking to yourself, I've heard this recently. I would love your get your opinion. I've heard um, that some of the performance coaches, and we've talked about, you know, having those conversations in your head and and making sure you're um, guiding yourself in a positive way. Some say that if you talk to yourself in the third person, mm-hmm. it's more powerful than saying 
I am going to do this. Mm -hmm. There, there's a really interesting science behind positive affirmations and the uh -huh. ability to speak a narrative to yourself and going into the third person can be a way to turn that into a narrative. There's a part of the prefrontal cortex, um, a collection of cells that responds to positive affirmation. They can see it light up during brain scans when you're saying, um, I am a public speaker or Mark is a positive public speaker, something like that. And the really interesting thing, I think, is that same cluster of cells in your brain is also directly tied to habit formation, the willpower connected to wanting to do the right thing over and over again. So the more you can speak positive, positively to yourself and tell that story of who you want to become in this moment, you're not just increasing your ability to engage in the present, but you're also putting yourself in a position that makes you more likely to continue those habits into the future. And so there is some neuroscience there behind positive affirmation that I think is really exciting. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, you, I know, have sparked a ton of interest, Mark. So you've got to let people know how to get in touch with you. Absolutely. Well, um, so we have a website, theideallife.com. That's where you can get a lot more information about our resources and get access to our community of others, pursuing growth mindset and the coaches that can help you in your variety of life roles, um, try to be more deliberate about becoming the type of person you want to be. So the ideal life.com. And then the best place on social media is the ideal life ITI. Um, and, um, yeah, that's where you can find us. And I would love to keep chatting about things. This has been really fun. I enjoy yeah. your podcast so much. Oh, we'd love to have you back. We love. We're already planning it, right, Mugay? I can, I yes, can read her mind. <laughs> absolutely. Gears are turning. Gears are turning. Mark, thank you so much. Um, uh, we are going to um, uh, look into the resources you mentioned and uh, most likely have a follow-up conversation to dive into some of these components a little deeper. Um, this was uh, spur because it gave us a lot to think about and act on. Absolutely. This has been so much fun. I can't wait, guys. Have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.